Jimmy Smith on today's Unlocking the Cage podcast. We discuss who has the most to lose at UFC 268. Also, I interview Laura Sanko about Dana White's Contender Series and UFC 268. My God, she's busy. Also, I answer your questions on the midweek mailbag. UFC 268, the future stakes. Who has the most to lose? That is the question. When I look at it, uh, it's a great card. It has some great fights on it. The storylines are very, very interesting, right? But it's consequences that make a fight interesting. It's consequences, okay? Uh, The loser goes here. The winner goes here. What are the stakes? How shall I do this? I'm going to break this down fight by fight and emphasizing the fighters who I think have the most to lose. Frankie Edgar versus Marlon Vera opens up the main card. Marlon Vera, 17-7-1, was considered a mid-level guy with some elite potential, but he had to beat a great guy in order to do it. Defeated Andre Ewell, lost to uh, Yadong Song, which I thought was actually a robbery. Beat Sean O'Malley. We thought, okay, that might be his next step. What does he get? He gets a an elite-level fighter. Jose Aldo comes up short in that one. Beats Davey Grant. Once again, mid-level guy. So they're giving him another name in Frankie Edgar. Former champion at 155. Former contender at 145. Now down at 135. So Marlon Barrett is being rewarded for beating mid-level guys with a high-level guy. An elite guy. But would losing kill him? No. When you're seen as a mid-level guy and you end up losing to an elite guy, you're just basically confirming what everyone already thought of you. You're a mid-level guy. Fine. Is that the end of the world? No. Frankie Edgar, however, losing to Brian Ortega, Max Holloway, Korean Zombie, Corey Sandhagen. All of those guys, elite, at 145 and 135. They... Other than Max Holloway, that was a wipeout. But all the rest, Brian Ortega finished him. Korean Zombie finished him. Corey Sandhagen finished him. This would be, for Frankie Edgar, his first loss to a non-elite fighter. First loss to a non-elite guy. A guy who right now going into the fight is not perceived as elite. KOB, is that fair or not? That going into this, Marlon Bear is not perceived as elite. Correct. A good mid-level guy. Right, okay. That loses a lot for Frankie Edgar. Forget a title shot. You are 40 years old. It is gatekeeper status from here on out. Should he lose his fight? I think Frankie Edgar, although it's a little bit under the radar, has a lot to lose. A lot. So, I don't think Marlon Vera has a lot to lose. It would confirm what what most people already think of him. He's a mid-level guy. Frankie Edgar goes from elite to mid-level. He goes down, and once you go down, it's hard to get up again. Very hard. Rose Namajunas, Wei Li Zhang. Um, Of course, Rose could lose her title, which is important. This is one of those where if she lost in dominant fashion, she could lose a lot. Why? She's only 14 fights in. This would be her 15th. It's been kind of a rocky road. It's been a little bit up and down. A lot of people thought that Joanna Jacek was going to steamroll her ass. That didn't happen. Knocked her out and then won a unanimous decision after that. 
And then it's one step back. She loses by slam, loses her title to Jessica Andrade. Wins a rematch with Jessica Andrade, but didn't finish strong in that fight. If you remember it, in the end, Jessica Andrade was putting on her in that last round. She takes on Wei Li Zhang, and bam, she gets a head kick knockout. She's right back where she was, but she's been very vocal about the pressures of being champion. If she loses to Wei Li Zhang, a lot of people will say, ah, she's allergic to the belt. She's great to get a title. As soon as you get her one, she doesn't have what it takes to keep it. And much like being a choker in MMA or boxing or football or anything else, um, much like being a choker, it's a hard label to get off once it's on you. Am I making sense, Kobe? And what you're seen as, oh, they get the title and they lose it. The odds that you get another title shot and get a chance to prove it over and over and over again, it's pretty tough. It's like being a playoff choker in NBA or the NFL. You only get to the playoffs so many damn times. You don't have a ton of opportunities to prove you can win in the playoffs or win in the Super Bowl or win in the World Series. Same thing here. If Rose Namajunas loses, there will be criticisms that she's allergic to the belt, that she's great at getting it, she's not great at keeping it. KOB, fair or not? Fair, but I think the fact sure. that she won it a second time already, I, I don't think I, I, people would probably start to knock her that way. But at the same time, I still think that like people would still be behind Rose to do it again. People will still be, she'll still be popular. People love Thug Rose. They will, she will still be popular. But it's that idea of winning a title and keeping a title sometimes require different mentality. They require different, every champ says that. Like, man, I was on fire to get the belt and then I got the belt. And I'm like, okay, well, what do I do now? It takes a different kind of person to get up every time once you're champion. And I think that criticism of Rose doesn't get up when she's not champion. Now, she did beat Ioannia Jacek in a rematch, but a lot of people thought the first fight was a fluke, including Ioannia Jacek. I want to say she was actually the betting underdog, if I'm not mistaken, for that second fight. Um, KLB, can you look that up for me? Um, so, the, the, so a lot of people thought the first fight against Ioannia Jacek, it, it was a fluke. She had motivation to prove them wrong, and then she loses the title. She gets the title back. Can she keep it? I think she has a lot to lose in this fight. You don't want to be perceived as you win a title and you can't defend it. That's not good. She keeps that. She's an all-time great. She loses it. It's a bit of a problem. Weili Zhang, if she loses this fight, she's still in the mix at 115. And there's a chance she can climb her way back up. But just because she can't beat Rose Namajunas doesn't mean she can't be champion. I think Rose has more to lose in this one. Uh, did you find it, Kebe? I'm still looking right now. All right. So, all right. Now, let's go back to the card again and look at Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington. Yes, KLB? Uh, she was a plus 160 underdog yep. going into the rematch. Yep. I thought she was an underdog. I remember thinking that. Ah, she's an underdog going into a rematch in a fight she won. By, and that's a significant underdog, plus 160. So, Kamaru Usman, Colby Covington. All right. Here's the deal. What does Colby uh, Kamaru Usman have to lose? If he wins this, we're talking Kamaru Usman, GSP, and people who make an argument for Kamaru Usman are not insane. KOB, just that statement. Is that fair? That if he beats Colby Covington, people who say greatest welterweight of all time, I'll go, you got a point. Right? Uh, 
it helps. I don't right. know if he's quite there yet, though. Right, but but th- that noise you just made, right? You don't agree, but you see their point, right? I know yes. you're a big GSP fan. Okay, there's an argument to be made. Here. There's an argument to be made, right? And and if Kamaru's win beats Colby Covington, there's an argument to be made that come w- whatever it is, November seventh, he is the greatest welterweight of all time. Not everyone will agree with him. But he, you can. There's an argument to be made to 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 take Kob's words. There's an argument to be made. If he loses, there is no argument to be made. He's second all time behind GSP. That's pretty big. That's a lot to lose in one fight. Because the one thing he has over GSP is GSP lost in his prime. Kamar Usman did not. GSP lost in the UFC twice. Kamar Usman has not. So, obviously, we're not going to get into the weeds of that discussion. Maybe we'll do it, you know, next Tuesday, all right? But um, that's a lot to lose. Colby Covington, most people expect him, myself included right now, expect him to lose to Kamal Usman. If he loses, is he still a contender? Yeah. Is he still up amongst the elite? Yeah. He just can't beat Kamal Usman. Just like, you know... In GSP's run, how many guys? John Fitch, probably number one. Okay, Josh Koscik holds the title, probably. Johnny Hendricks certainly does. How many guys have decent title runs in the GSP years if it weren't for GSP? A lot of them. Colby Covington is just the second best welterweight of his era. There's no shame in that, but he's perceived right now as the second best welterweight of his era. So I don't think he loses that much with lots. Does he want it? No. Will he get another title shot? Not while Kamaru Usman's champion. But still, I don't think he loses that much. Which brings me to my grand finale. Kelly Kell's going to be interested in this one. Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. When you look at Michael Chandler's resume, and I called him in Bellator, it was always two steps forward, one step back. It was always right when we thought... We had the number one 55-pounder in the world. We can really make this argument. Oh, my God, he's our guy. He would lose. And it was when you didn't really expect it. When he beat um, Eddie Alvarez in the, the greatest fight I've ever called, that was November 2011. He beats Akihiro Gono. He beats Rick Hahn. He beats David Rickles. Blows them all out of the water, by the way. He blasted them. Loses the rematch to Eddie Alvarez. Goes on a three-fight skid. He rebuilds himself. Derek Campos, David Rickles, Patricky Pitbull, Benson Henderson. Then he loses to Brent Primus. Gets, gets kicked in the leg. His foot goes numb. Da, 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 da. We all saw the fight. Builds himself back. Three more. Bum, 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 bum. Beats pre- Brent Primus. Becomes champion. And then gets knocked out by Patricio Pitbull. Puffed up 145-pounder. Takes his title from him in one minute of the first round. Now he's won three in a row. And then he loses to Charles Oliveira. If he loses to Justin Gaethje, it will be Michael Chandler being Michael Chandler, where he just can't quite get the run together when he needs it, number one. Number two, this division is a shark tank. Islam Makachev is waiting in the wings for Justin Gaethje, or Michael Chandler, the winner. But let's say Michael Chandler loses. It'll be Islam Makachev versus Justin Gaethje. The winner gets the next, for example, uh, gets the next title shot. He's out. He's out. Or Justin Gaethje gets the next title shot. And Michael Chandler is the odd man out. There are only two possible scenarios for the winner if it's Justin Gaethje. 
Islam Makachev for the title, and he will bitch like crazy if it's Islam Makachev. Let's say he gets a title shot. Okay, Michael Chandler what? Takes on Makachev now? Michael Chandler takes on uh, some other killer? Bilal Muhammad? Is that what you want? Benil, I'm sorry, uh, Benil Daryush, is that what you want? Yeah, I mixed up the weight class. Benil Daryush, right? Number three, great fighter, but he's under the radar. And a lot of people aren't thinking about him right now. Okay? So is that what you want? No, you don't. I think he falls very, very fast. And people will who remember his run in Bellator will go, yeah, it's Michael Chandler. Big knockout, big knockout. Oh, my God, he's going to do great things. And he loses. He's got to break that cycle. And losing to Justin Gaethje, I think, hurts him a lot. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Laura Sanko about to walk onto her private jet. Must be nice, Laura. Must be nice. Hope everything's okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't stop laughing at that. Yeah, definitely just about to board my uh, my private jet. Uh-huh. Right, exactly. Yep. I, I, I get I, I get how it is. So uh, before you before you before we dive into the weeds of Contender Series, you're going from Contender Series to New York. What's going on? What is the once again production freak of nature that is Laura Sanko? What's going on for you this weekend? Yeah, UFC 268, I mean, it's going to be fantastic. That card is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, and how fun to have two number events back-to-back. But, yeah, I'm heading out there, and uh, I've got the, the weigh-in show on Friday morning, which if you guys haven't watched that, it's a lot of fun. Like, it's probably the loosest, uh, I don't know, you, it's an NFL-style sh- I don't know how to describe it. It's a lot of fun. I get to give DC a hard time. And then um, fight night. Uh, I'm doing some behind-the-scenes stuff and some interviews. So, yeah, all over the place, you know? Sweet. So, now let's dive into the weeds of the Contender Series. I think the biggest story out of that, uh, Jonas Berjarino, uh not getting a contract despite a, a highlight reel, wheel kick, knockout, a slow first round for sure. Was that the tipping point? Definitely. I think, yeah. you know, we've we've talked about this so many times at this point. It's you could see, and I think I think I even said this on the broadcast. You can see the technique that he has. You can see the talent that he has, but it was it was in spurts and and really just glimpses. And I think when Dana watches a fight and has that like bit of frustration, where like man, I just I just I just want him to go. I want him to turn up the gas. I want him to you know I want him to put his foot down. And when he has that feeling of being frustrated, you know, then you've got a mountain to climb in terms of of getting a contract. It's almost as if like, because you could tell he was so good that he wasn't pulling the trigger was a little more frustrating. Yeah. Frustrating to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there before knowing how talented somebody is. And, and you know, you know, from, from being in big gyms, like I have, I, we call them gym monsters, right? They can dust everybody in the gym, but because they have the technique, they're so good, but it doesn't always show in fight time. And, and, that's one of those humps somebody just has to get over, whether it's jujitsu, kickboxing, MMA, whatever it might be. But on this stage, the contender series, you can't afford that, can you? No, you can't. I mean, and I think 
<clears throat> I think in his case, I think we're going to see him again. You know, I talked yeah. to Ed Soares about him uh, the, the night previous. Ed manages him. Um, and he said, listen, I'm, I'm serious, Laura. He's one of the best prospects coming out of Brazil. And I can confirm that based on the tape that I watched. I think he was dealing with a couple of things. A, and I'm sure first and foremost, the injury that he described to me in our post-fight interview, I never really got a full understanding of how bad it was. Clearly he was able to move on it, but not in the way that he wanted to. And then um, second of all, you know, he hadn't fought in, in coming up on two years. So and when you have that style that really relies on timing and on being able to find that timing, I think it's those guys that do suffer from the ring rust that we all debate whether it exists or doesn't, you know, it doesn't exist or whatever. So uh, given those factors, uh, you know, it, it kind of sucks because I don't think Dana takes injuries into account, you know, when he gives out the contract. It's really about did you perform despite whatever obstacles you were facing, did you perform? But point being, I think we'll see him again. Talking, of course, to Laura Sanko about Dana White's Contender Series. Yeah, it's so interesting where – but you as a commentator, the, the more you do this, the more you'll you'll kind of hear these things. A manager's going, oh, he had this and this and this illness, and he yeah. just came back. And you go, guys, I call the fight for 15 goddamn minutes. That's, what, that's your sample size. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I don't know how much you've run into this, but I've had fighters say, well, I had this, I had that. Okay, I, I'm not saying you didn't. I'm saying the only thing I have to judge is – a. 15 or 25 minute fight and that's it i don't know what you do when you go home i don't know what you know <laughs> i have no idea yeah. you know what i mean but, but yeah, you hear these stories yeah. all the time have you gotten any of that yet not yet but uh, i'm sure you, you i will. will and i you and will. i can see it coming from him to be honest with you because you know bisping and i were maybe a little i don't want to say tough on him i think we were fair and, and it was just an expression of what i said earlier it was just like because i know you know, I, I had watched three or four of his fights before. I knew to some degree what he was capable of. And you could see him in moments doing it in the fight. And just that feeling of, like, I just want you to do more. I just yeah. want you to do more. And, and that was all that Mike, I should say all, but it was a lot of what Michael and I ended up talking about. So he might be one of those who comes back to me and is like, I don't really like how you called my fight. But you're absolutely right. You know, I, I can only speak to what I see. And, of course, I didn't know about the injury coming in. He only told me that after the fact. Um, but it still wouldn't have changed what we were looking at completely, right? So, like, yes, an injury is a bit of an asterisk, but it still is what it is. A uh, person who needed no injury, needed no asterisk, I thought he had a great performance. Johan Lanessa versus Justin Berlinson. Big knockout there. Crazy. And this yeah. is what I'll tell you about that. Like, this was this was a tale of two completely different styles of fighting. Both of them undefeated, both of them really good strikers, but I'm telling you that, and I don't mean this in any bad way, it's actually, it actually speaks to what is so magical about this sport. The, the less good fighter won that fight. In terms of experience, technique, um, a lot of the boxes that you would want to check, Justin Berlinson, I mean, Michael and I were going around about like, man, this kid is really, really good when you watch his film. And uh, Johan, I mean, you could see he had a knack for violence, and you could see that he had pretty good cardio, and he would go out there and put it on the line. Um, and he's gotten a lot of knockouts that way. But that's what's so crazy about the sport. And that's kind of what I was telling Michael in the fight as well. Like, sometimes... It's not the cleaner technique that wins 
it, it's the cleaner technique that wins over time. And when I say time, I mean like over years. <laughs> but on any given night, man, some of those wild guys, they'll, they'll knock your block off. Yeah, it's really true. And, and you know, an expression in the sport, in any sport, is greatness shows over time, right? That yeah, 20 fights, you're going to be much better. I remember um, when the, the Boston Red Sox beat the Dodgers in the World Series. I bet with, um, obviously, uh, with John Anik, and, and I changed my social media to the, the Red Sox. And one of the things I said was, hey, yeah. you know, <laughs> they were the better team. And somebody said to me, well, doesn't the better team always win? I said, no. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the inferior team just has a great series or they match up really well with that person or there are some injuries, somebody bungles it away. It happens all the time. And fighting, I, I, I just think those variables are turned up a little bit. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes, oh, they are because you're not talking about a team sport. You're not talking about, you know, baseball is a perfect example of the exact opposite where you play a team many, many times. So maybe you have a, a, a better understanding, but – you know, it is. It's always – it has to be the test of time. And the, the longer the test of time, the more accurate you can be in saying who is better. So when you talk about fighting one night, 15 minutes, maybe 25 minutes if you're lucky, um, it's just it, – but it's part of what makes – it's part of what makes the sport so great because there's always, always the opportunity for some really cool upsets. And I'm not uh, saying that this was a massive upset. Johan, I mean, listen. Right. That right. kid is really, really good. I don't, I don't mean to act like he's not, but I have no doubt in my mind that Justin Burlinson will be in the UFC in very short order. Speaking, of course, to Laura Sanko about Dana White's contenders, we've seen a lot of opportunities this season. Of course, last night was the last one of the season. You get to Uh-oh. stop traveling every week. Must be nice. But uh, a lot of Chinese fighters have gotten big opportunities. But Mahashate, the first guy to actually do that. Talk about that opportunity, man. The first Chinese contender series winner. Yeah, it's, I, I, it's hard to explain how important that is. And I think <clears throat> for those of us in America, um, part of the American audience, I think we don't really fully understand the growth that is occurring over there in China. And I, I know you've spent a lot of time there um, certainly much more time than I have. But since putting the PI in Shanghai, I mean, the UFC is making a concerted effort to really grow mixed martial arts in a country that is, of course, known for its martial arts heritage. And, you know, we talked about this the other week. When you talk about a country with 1.5 billion people, think about the the talent that is not being found just just by sheer size of number, right? So you put a PI there you start slowly over time finding that talent. And I think we're just now starting to see the beginnings of that. And it was so cool to see Mahashate win. And man, that third round where you could see him get comfortable and like find his swag. That was when, man, I I thought this, this kid, this kid could be something really special. And he's so young. He's so young. So very excited to see what his future holds. Uh, speaking of this weekend, of course, talking to Laura Seca, who will be working this weekend in various capacities. Uh, we have three fights that everybody's talking about. The whole card is great, but obviously the top three, Justin uh, Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler, Rose Namajunas versus Zhang Weili, Kamar Usman, Colby Covington. If you had to pick one of those to watch as a fan, not as a broadcaster, which is number one to you? Oh. Yeah, yeah, um. I did that to you. I And I don't even feel bad. I don't. Gaethje Chandler. I, I'd have to pick Gaethje Chandler. That's right. I mean, that 
that fight is going to be that fight's going to be ridiculous. And I think sometimes we, you know, those fights get pumped up like the Lewis and Ganu fight. Like, oh, this is going to be incredible. <laughs> can't miss. This out. is a can't <laughs> miss fight, and it misses. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this one, I would bet my life that it's going to be that it's going to be can't miss because. Justin Gaethje knows no other direction than a forward. You've seen Michael Chandler. He's a pressure fighter as well. And I'm fascinated to see who comes out with what game plan, especially since we've seen this evolution from Justin Gaethje, especially after the Tony Ferguson fight, where it's still very much him, but there's like just like this note of finesse on it now that I think makes him even more dangerous uh, than he was coming up. So I, that would be the one I would pick to not miss for sure. I, I love how you make the transitions for me, right? I'm talking to Laura Sanko, of course, with Dana Weiss. <laughs> I was about to ask you about that. As a broadcaster who's been in the fight game for a long time, um, I, I have to say personally, one of the things I'd love to see is late – uh, not just late surges in a career, but late adjustments in a career. Usually, yeah. Justin Gates, you got 20 fights. I know how you fight. I, you know, you might get better, you might get worse, but I have a general idea of how you fight. When we watched Glover Teixeira win last Saturday and win a title at 42, late adjustments, a late surge in their career. Justin Gaethje, um, of course, making late adjustments in his fight style. Try to explain to my listeners how hard that is to do for a leopard to change their stripes late in their fight career. I mean, think about, okay, so think about the muscle memory of, say, brushing your teeth. It, something you do every day, because that's what it is. You know, throwing a punch is as familiar as anybody brushing their teeth, teeth or, you know, using a fork. Something as simple as that. That's what, it, that's what punching is to these guys. Now, you know, brush your teeth with your non-dominant hand all of a sudden. And then get really good at it. Then become like... <laughs> My analogy is falling apart because I'm trying to think of like who would be the best teeth brusher in the world. But my point being, my point being is like, not only are you undoing, you're a toothbrushing gold medalist, years. and you got to defend yeah. right with a different hand. Yes. Booyah! There you yes. go. Yes, yeah, exactly. Much better analogy. Thank you. Um, right. You have to undo years and years, tens of thousands of reps potentially. Even on something small, it could be like the, the, the angle at which you cock your head when you're throwing, you know, your left hook, whatever it is, because it, it, it becomes very fine details at that point. So to be able to undo and implement new habits and then on top of that, go out and execute them in a high adrenaline situation, which is when you tend to revert back to whatever it is you've been doing all along, really, really impressive. And that's going to be on display. And I got to agree with you. I cannot wait to see Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. I know your private plane is about to take off. They're going to serve you your drink and everything. You don't want to be late for that. I really appreciate appreciate your time, Laura. (laughs) Have a great time this weekend. Thank you, Jamie. I'm going to miss talking to you, but uh, hopefully, hopefully we can chat again soon. This is Lindsay Rhodes, and I'm so excited for my podcast, The NFL Roadshow, to be joining the SiriusXM sports family. We'll be talking about the most compelling topics and to some of the most interesting people in and around the NFL. Taking a look at things through my somewhat nerdy football lens. I like to push past the low-hanging fruit to get to the real stories that are going to make you feel like a smarter football fan. So please join me every Wednesday for The NFL Roadshow, available on the SXM app and wherever you get your podcasts. KOB, you've sifted through them. You got the best of the best. Hit me with them. All right, this first one comes from Matan, who says, Hey, Jimmy, 
There are a lot of similarities in Glover's win on Saturday to Bisbing's UFC 199, both being aging, unlikely champions. Following 199, the UFC gave Bisbing the easiest challenger possible with the 46-year-old Dan Henderson for a wholesome feel-good moment. Do you think Glover deserves one of those too, i.e. favorable matchmaking, and who could, that can- who could be the best candidate be for that? That's the problem, uh, is the last part of your question. Who's the candidate? I don't see anybody in the UFC rankings right now that you could realistically give a title shot to who isn't tough. Not that Glover can't win. He can. But when I look at it right now, it looks like it's going to be Yuri Prochaka, which Dana White said publicly. Now, break that down a second. He said it's going to be Yuri Prochaka. Now, it might not be Yuri Prochaka. There could be some visa problem. He could be injured. Who knows? You can't go from it's going to be Yuri Prochaka to uh, Johnny Walker. Right, you, you can't do that. You can't go from the number two, number one, or number two contender, um, and 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 then go that low. So you could go. I, oh, it's going to be your Pachatka. Okay, he can't make visa issues or whatever. All right, Alexander Rakic, that guy's an absolute murderer. Okay, a rematch with Anthony Smith. That's that's no gimme. Okay. The easiest fight on here, when I look at it, Tiago Santos, who already beat up, who's a puffed-up 185-pounder, they don't give him that fight. Dominic Reyes has lost three in a row. You can't just fight a title fight for that guy. So that's the deal, is that you can't go from Yuri Prochatka to uh, somebody easy for him to beat. When I look at Jan Blahovic, Yuri Prochatka, Alexander Rakic, Anthony Smith, Tiago Santos, Dominic Reyes, Magomed Ankalaev, uh, Volkan Uzdemir, Nikita Krylov, Johnny Walker. Now, those are the rankings. They haven't been updated since since last Saturday. But, ish, there are not a lot of easy outs there for a 42-year-old man. There just aren't. And so, the thing about Bisbing is that fight was in London, if I remember correctly. So, you had that feel-good, like, you know, moment of, of, of being at home. And you happen to have somebody who was popular, who, if I remember correctly, I didn't think deserved a title shot at the time, that they could, and they had, you know, obviously knocked him out the first time, it was a huge knockout, da 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 There were storylines you could sell. I don't see any sellable storylines for um, Glover Teixeira to, let's say, fight somebody in Rio that he can beat up. None of those guys are easy. Kelly, you love pointing out how I'm out of my mind. Am I out of my mind? There just aren't any easy fights right now for him. No, that's as uh, Russo was reading the question. I was like, but who is the gimme fight that you could even make a case to get a title shot? You know what I mean? I mean, realistically, right now, it has to be either Yuri or Rakic. And both of those guys are murderers. So there's no gimme fight there for Glover. And like you said, not to say he can't win because nobody thought he was going to beat Blahovic, really. He can, but there's no gimme fight there at all. What happened with Michael Bisping is there happened to be, in Dan Henderson, an emotional favorite. Fans love him. He was past his prime. He had had some losses. He could put asses in seats. Rarely do you get all those things together. It's just Dan happened to be in the right place at the right time for a champion um, in Michael Bisping. So that's why that fight happened. I don't see it happening again. Next! Before I switch over, Jimmy, I would like to remind people, too, because I still will defend so Bisbing mad. for Go that. Ahead. Go ahead. I do, because I will defend Bisbing for this one, because this was MMA Twitter just turning on a, on something they wanted. Because when he won at 199, 
Dan Henderson had won too. I think it might have, yeah, Hector Lombard. They Hector won in the same part. Yeah. I remember there was a photo that surfaced on Twitter of uh, backstage. It was like Michael Bisbing with the belt, and then in the background was Dan was Dan Henderson talking to somebody. And everybody on MMA Twitter was like, make the fight, give Henderson one more chance, like one more chance at the belt, make the fight. The UFC saw there was interest. Bisbing wanted to avenge that loss. Henderson wanted one more shot at the belt. So the UFC made the belt, and then everyone turned, like, oh, Bisbing's picking his matchups. It was like, we all wanted this, like yes. a second ago. <laughs> Twitter is, and you complain I'm not on there enough. You complain I'm not on there enough. It's, it's pathetic and sad. Next, Kobe. Answer my question! Uh, this comes from Dan in New Jersey, who says, uh, "Hey Jimmy, uh, why did you stop fighting, and how did you break into broadcasting?" Ah, uh, that's an excellent point. Ah, uh, that's an excellent question. I th- and and they have the same answer, by the way. I was fighting. I had my last fight professionally in two thousand and six, and I won against a guy named Jason Chambers, and I got a call from one of my old teammates in jujitsu, and he said they're doing this show. They're casting for this show about somebody going around and doing different martial arts in different countries. Call this producer in New York. They, they're doing phone interviews now. All right. I called this producer. I did a phone interview. They liked me and said, okay, we're going to set up an audition. I went to the audition, a bunch of Southern California fighters there that I already knew. And I did the audition, and I got the show, and it was called Fight Quest on the Discovery Channel. So that's how I, A, got into broadcasting, is I did an audition, and I got it. And then as we were shooting Fight Quest, it started filming November 2006. It filmed until March 2008. I didn't, or spring, whatever it was, 2008. I didn't realize how long that would take. I had no idea. So that took away a lot of my fighting prime. It was two years where I wasn't fighting, year and a half. And number two, my first show. The first episode paid me over four times what I made my entire fight career. Guys, I was fighting out in the desert for like 200 bucks a pop. The most I ever got paid for a fight was my last fight with Jason Chambers. I paid like 1200 bucks, And there was, there was no future in it. It was just not, I mean, I was fighting on the local scene for no money. So when I when they said, hey, you can do this other thing and make that, once again, four times that in a week, I went, oh, okay, I'll do that then. And I also kind of thought I'd go back to my fight career at some point. And as I was doing Fight Quest for that year and a half, I got a call from um, a guy who was running M1 Global, which was a promotion, and he said, hey, do you want to do commentary for us? And I said, yeah, I'll do that. And I did that. Every three weeks or so, I would fly to some country to do M1 Global. And uh, that's how I started doing commentary. And I went from M1 to Bellator to the UFC to here I am. So that's the way it worked is they, they were interconnected. I just didn't make any money fighting. And when I got this broadcast opportunity, I just went with it. And here I am. So kind of one step led to another. And I never had any time to go back to my fight career. So that's pretty much how it works. Next. All right, this comes from Gene in Idaho who says, Hey, Jimmy, do you think Colby drops the stick or gets even more unbearable with it if, with the financial safety of becoming champion? Oh, God, it'll get worse. It'll get, I think, way worse. He doesn't drop the stick. 
I think it gets worse and worse. He will be unbearable should he be champion. Because in many ways, it'll justify everything he's talking about, right? And with that success under him, oh, he'll be insufferable. And uh, he's pretty insufferable now, but Jesus, with the belt? I don't think there's any chance he will he will drop it. He backed off a little bit after January 6th. He's not as Trumpy as he used to be, meaning he doesn't wear the hats and all that stuff. Uh, he dropped a lot of it after January 6th. But, you know, we've seen in the run-up to this fight that he still pushes buttons whenever he possibly can. Should he become champion, it's going to get infinitely worse. KOB, do you see it working any other way? I, that's, I, I just can't see. That's where I lean on it. But I kind of wonder, like you said, like yes, after the after the election, he's dropped a lot of the Trump stuff, and I feel like he's been a little bit more subdued. He's still doing some Colby things, but for the most part, I feel like he has dropped it to a bit. I kind of wonder if once you have the belt, like, do you still need to get your name out there? You got the belt now, so maybe I, I, I'm sure there will be elements of it, but I still think it'll be more subdued than it has been in the past. <sighs> I, unless there's pressure from above, which Dana White has said publicly, he doesn't do that. Unless there's pressure from above, he won't do that. In my, if you, you know, he never pressured Conor McGregor to be a better human being when he was champion. I don't think he's going to pressure Colby Covington to do it. He's done a little bit of it, but do you hear what he said about uh, Kamzat Shemaev? He uh, almost yes, quit because of a cold. Yeah, like he's a dick. He's a bag of dicks. You know, he's talking about <laughs> you know a a a, a disease has killed more people than the American Civil War, and he's like, oh, the guy got a cold and almost quit. It, it, you know, Colby's going to Colby. He's a great fighter. Really talented, might be champion after Saturday, but you know he's going to continue with the shtick. I think it's going to get a lot worse. I really do. I think it's going to get a lot worse should he become champion. Next, answer my question. All right, this comes from Frank in New York. It says, "Hey Jimmy, if Kamara wins on Saturday, do you think him versus Vicente Luque or Hamzat Shemaev is a better fight? And who do you think wins either of those matchups?" Uh, all right. So should he win on Saturday, he is. The discussion will be, is he the greatest welterweight of all time? All right, let, let, let me let me be annoying and, and answer a question with a question. Uh, Kelly, is your mind zen? Clear? Yep. You have nothing going on? Nothing. What makes you more excited? Kobe Cub, I mean, uh, Kamaru Usman versus Kamzat Shemaev, let's say off one more win, or Vicente Luque? Ugh, Chimaev. Just the way it's, the way he's performed. And I, I it sucks because Vicente Luque is very deserving, of, of course, but not even close, actually. That's the, the answer to the level. question, right? Vicente Luque is Vicente Luque is serviceable. He's a good fighter. He's really solid. He's a nice guy. My excitement level of him taking on Kamar Usman is very, very low. Why? He's beaten guys like that before. And you got to really show me something different. You got to really kind of go outside of the box. Kamzat Shemaev hasn't taken on the best talent in the world, but he's fresh. He's exciting. He's out of the box. He's been dominant so far. There's just an excitement level uh, for him that, that, that isn't there for any other challenger. I think it's Kamzat Shemaev. After that, God only knows because it looks like Kamaru Usman can run through everybody. If he can beat... Kamzat Shemaev as well. So that's the that's the deal for me. Is Kamzat Shemaev is the out of the box new up and coming face. Anything other than that, and we're looking at the same old, same old, it's another victim. And you don't want that it's another victim feel for your champion. Next. You've got mail. All right, this one will be our last one for the day. 
Uh, this comes from Ricky in Florida, who says, Hey, Jimmy, would you rather have all your sports teams win every championship across sports for the next 10 years or get $1 million, but the consequence will be that all of your sports teams finish dead last for the next 10 years? I love my sports teams. I really do. Everybody knows Steelers, Lakers, Dodgers. Those are my teams, basically. I would sell them all down the river for a million dollars. Okay, great. Sucks. Don't know what to tell you. Uh, Yeah, I mean, and also, one of the reasons I hate the Patriots and I hate Tom Brady is there just isn't anything special about that douchebag holding up another Lombardi trophy like he cares. So watching my teams, which have great legacies, Dodgers, Lakers, Steelers, have great legacies, okay? Win it 10 years in a row, I, I, it's almost like them not winning for 10 years, right? Because you're like, oh, they won again. All right, wonderful. What's important about that? What's special about that? It's special because the Steelers, in, in time I remember, okay, I know they won it when I was a little kid, have won two Super Bowls. And they were really special moments for me. If they did it 10 years straight, I, it just wouldn't be special anymore. So, no, I wouldn't want my teams winning 10 years straight. And... A million dollars? They can be dead last forever for all I care. For a million bucks, I do not even care. I really honestly do not. So I'd go to my backup teams, and that's the way it would go. But we have uh, – I'm sorry. Uh, I have a question for you. I, I always forget this. How did you become a Steelers fan? Because obviously LA, like Dodgers and Lakers Dodgers, make sense. Dodgers and Lakers make sense. I grew up in How did you become a Steelers fan? When I was a little kid, and I'm talking five years old. It's about 1982. Uh, Raiders-Steelers was a big deal. Uh, if you're old enough to remember that rivalry in the early 80s, it was huge. I hate the Raiders. I hate them. And they were in L.A. They had just gone from Oakland to Los Angeles, and I didn't like them at all. I didn't like their fans at all. And I, my, my cousins, who were big football fans, who were a lot older than me, were big Raiders fans. And so when I would sit there and watch the games, they would just hate the Steelers. And I'm like, all right, I'm rooting for those guys. And I liked the way they played. The hard-hitting defense, great running game. They just played football the way I liked to watch football at that time when I was a kid. So I've been following since I was five years old because I was anti-Raiders and anti-also Cowboys. My cousin's a big Cowboys fan. And uh, those were the team. That was the team they hated the most, and I went with them. And I love the way they played football. Loved it. That's why. I've been a fan since I was five. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.